Greetings, everyone. I am Jesse Hippo Rosario, Director of Member Relations here at ASHP, and thank you for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional program at the 2021 ASHP Specialty Pharmacy Conference. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at ASHP's summer meetings and exhibition. My name is Michael Dukoski, and I'm the Assistant Vice President of Ambulatory Pharmacy Services at Baptist Health South Florida in Miami, Florida. And this session is titled, Speaking Clearly, Inclusive and Bias-Free Negotiations. I think you're really going to find this to be an interesting and insightful session. Imagine if more of our difficult conversations or the negotiations that we have could end in a successful outcome or even a win-win for all the parties that are involved. Perhaps the way that we speak or the way that we approach those conversations is having a significant impact on the outcome. Do we have biases present that could potentially be adversely influencing the outcome of those conversations or those negotiations? At this point, what we'd like to do is introduce our speaker, Joyce Collier. Joyce Collier is an attorney with the Philadelphia law firm of Greenblatt, Pierce, Funt, and Flores. Ms. Collier has 33 years of experience as a trial lawyer in state and federal court in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, specializing in employment law and specifically in discrimination law. That experience uh, that Ms. Collier has is really going to lend itself well to our discussion, uh, which is going to be frank today about bias. So let's talk about bias. What is bias? It is really just our cognitive shorthand. It's our way of processing information given our life experiences. And everybody has them. So as we observe and experience things through our lens, it's all through our own personal experience. We're not in anyone else's body to understand anything else that they're going through. Explicit bias is where you have a preference that you deliberately generate and you consciously know about. But more important for today is what's called implicit bias. So an implicit bias is an unconscious bias. It's something that we don't even know that we have. It's a preference that is experienced without our awareness, and it even runs contrary to our belief about who we are and our values. So I may say, I have no bias against young people, but in fact, I may have a bias that I'm not even aware of. Where is bias? So bias is everywhere. And it is not a scarlet letter. It's not that there's anything wrong with us. It is. It takes the form in things that people should or shouldn't do. For example, should I have my hair long or should I have my hair short? Those are things that we're already forming views about before we were even conscious of it. It blinds us to new information and inhibits us from considering a broad range of options when making an important decision. In our hyper-connected world where poor decisions can multiply like a chain reaction, breaking free of unhelpful bias has never been more urgent or important. So let's go to an example. 
Miami police officer circulates a black monopoly board with every square labeled go to jail. That's an explicit bias. But an implicit bias is where data is gathered on police stops that shows that persons of color are stopped more than their representation in the population might support. A more recent story is in Indianapolis, a homeowner was noticing that the appraisal values on her house were much lower than she expected in the range of 125,000 or 110,000. When she removed family photos and she asked her white friend to pose as her brother when meeting the appraiser, the house appraised at $259,000. One of the ways that social scientists examine implicit bias, and this has been done at Harvard for the last 20 years, is something called the implicit association test. And you can actually find this if you Google IAT. These tests are available for you to take and they take only a few minutes to do. And, and they're in all various categories. What happens is that the computer is actually measuring the speed of your response to stimuli. And it's a very, very positive, proper measure of your social bias right now. Another way that social scientists will study bias is by looking at our intuitive thinking and our deliberative thinking. Now, this is sort of a different way of going at it because this is really looking at how fast and slow we come to decisions. So here's an example. A bat and a ball cost $1.10 in total. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Fast thinking on this would say 10 cents, but the answer is really five cents. If we add it at 10 cents, it would mean that the bat and the ball combination cost $1.20, not $1.10. This test was given out to judges across the country to determine whether they had fast thinking or slow thinking. One study found that the judges obtained an average score of 1.23 out of three, which is slightly higher than students at the University of Michigan and slightly lower than the students at Harvard. This goes to show you that even though we think we're practicing deliberative thinking all the time, that we can still make mistakes in our thought process every day. It's one of the reasons why judges are constantly asked to write out their opinion, because in the process of writing out their opinion, they're actually forced to engage in deliberative thinking. Now, how does any of this relate to what you do? Well, let's take a moment and think about the biases that you may have about people on the other side of the table. And what I'm gonna do is ask you to stop and think about these biases. Think about your bias towards the following. Big pharma, healthcare, hospitals, or vendors. What kinds of things first come to mind when you think about these groups of people? How do we handle this? How do we bring our best self to a negotiating table when we know or we begin to become aware of those biases? And I think one thing that might be really helpful is just to consider that these are, this is sort of some baggage that we have that's based in our prior experiences. And to be able to sort of find a compartment for that and to say, okay, I, I know that this may be my, my thinking, or it may be based on my past experiences. 
But right now I'm going to go into this experience with sort of a fresh set of eyes. Yes, I have this baggage over here, but I can bracket that so that I can go into this experience with this human being and really try to encounter this on a brand new, fresh level. And look, it's not easy. That's what we're really here to talk about today, that this is stuff that's probably the most difficult part of of being a human being is all about, is having difficult conversations and getting to the core of the things that maybe make us really different from each other. I want to talk about, we're going to switch over a little bit here and talk about some more bias related issues, just so that you have the whole landscape. One of the big words that is being used now in our world of employment law is micro messages, micro affirmations, and micro aggressions. So for example, in a discrimination case, there might be examples where a, a person might say to someone, hey, you don't look like an, a gay person, or uh, by the way, to an African-American person, you're, you're so articulate. Those kinds of examples of a microaggression add up over time. And they're called Saturn's rings because each dust particle is small, but cumulatively over time, they can obstruct a person's view of the world and make life difficult for an employee. And I think it's just an important thing to kind of remember and recognize and to start seeing in your own life. Many times we'll see stuff like this happen in a grocery store, for example, or um, just when we're out in the world. And it's okay to notice it. It's, it's part of being a human being is recognizing these times when we're, we're just doing things, but not quite sure why we're doing it. Let's talk about some bias-free, the ways that we can change our communications. So in gender communications, to, to really watch ourselves from saying things like mankind or work men's compensation to workers' compensation man-made versus human achievement, the man in the stockroom versus the staff in the stockroom. For race and ethnicity, one of the most important things is to not focus on it if it doesn't need to be focused on. So, you know, you wouldn't say I, I saw a white man on the street, but many people might say I saw a black person. And to recognize that there's no real reason to point that out it's just a bias that we're not even aware that we're saying. Event also qualifiers saying, oh, that was a group of intelligent black people. That's another example of just putting our bias right out there. Age is something that I'm so aware of now as I'm aging is how many times, even I will say about myself, patronizing concepts about an older person. I'm not as good at that as I used to be. And in our group of employment lawyers, we will constantly say to each other, don't say things like that. We don't need to comment about our own age as we wouldn't comment about any other criteria that, that we exist on. So to pay special att attention to language that suggests that we have limitations. With disability, this is one that I've taught a lot on. And I think the words handicap and wheelchair bound really have to be taken out of our vocabulary. They are able, even, even using the words able-bodied, which may seem like it's more PC'd, 
is still suggesting that that's something that that really matters. It's it's the whole question of not paying attention to it, allowing people to be who they are without drawing attention to the fact that, oh, that person's a quadriplegic or paraplegic. On the issue of sexual orientation, because of the Bostock case last year, it's extremely important for employers to make sure that they're not discriminating against people based on their sexual preference, their sexual orientation. The word sexual preference is also not a word that should be discussed or brought out. Even saying words like homosexual or gay lifestyle is not really an appropriate way to talk about people. It's either gay or lesbian for women. Lesbian is definitely preferred. You don't say gay women. And also asking people what they prefer. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong saying to somebody, what would be your preference? Now, let's switch out of that for a minute. And I wanna talk about something that I have found to be an extremely important area to study, which is just generally, how do we have these really difficult conversations? So let's step back about 30,000 feet and talk about that. And that leads us back into some of the hypos that we talked about. As we move into any difficult conversation, whether it's with our spouse or a coworker or our boss, it's that issue of moving from certainty, from our own certain bias that we think, oh, I know this, I know this person, they're gonna screw me or whatever you think is gonna happen. It's more about curiosity. So what is it that's going on from that other person's standpoint? That's really a listening exercise. The second issue is to share the impact on you before asking about intent. So accusing people of bad intentions is only gonna make them defensive. And also saying, hey, I have good intentions, that doesn't sanitize the impact of what you're doing. So be open to reflecting on the complexity of your own intentions. Focusing blame on blame inhibits our ability to learn what's really causing a problem and do anything meaningful. And the main thing is to recognize that our feelings are normal, natural, and very complex. What doesn't get expressed is going to come out sideways. So it's really important to be vigilant about what's going on in our own heads and hearts. You don't have to say it out loud. It's just one of those things that you want to think about as you're in, in encounters, especially in business. Why is any of this important? Because the reality is that it improves our world. It's not just politically correct. It's, it's, it can be life-changing. Our takeaways today, and I hope that you have some takeaways, is that we all have implicit or unconscious biases that run counter to our stated beliefs about who we are. The most important tool in your toolbox is your own awareness of, our, of your implicit bias as a reality and your own motivation to make the unconscious conscious. This isn't something that you just strike off and say, I, I got this. You're going to have this in every moment of every day for the rest of your life. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a code, a system in our own brains that is trying to help us to get through our day-to-day experiences. Bias-free communications are going to increase inclusivity and lead to a broader range of options in your decision-making and give you better outcomes. 
Thanks so much for listening in today. It is content like this that makes the ASHP Summer Meetings and Exhibition the place to learn and take your practice to the next level. The upcoming Summer Meeting Specialty Track will take place in June and will feature current topics that our specialty practitioners have identified as top of mind, including new drug pipeline updates, specialty pearls, legal and accreditation updates, and so much more. Until then, this is Jesse Hippo Rosario from ASHP Official, and thank you for all that you do for your patients.